Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of overwhelming cuteness. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about kawaii, the Japanese concept of cuteness that is so pervasive in modern Japan. You're looking pretty kawaii today, Paul. Ah, thanks, man. I like the pastel hair you got there. Very nice. Got a, a little unicorn on your shirt, a little matching tutu. Love it. Got all my bright colors going. Now, are you going for a fairy K aesthetic there? Is that what that is? I'm more into the Lolita Rococo. Okay. You know. That's a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should define kawaii, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's cuteness, but it's kind of a bit more than that, right? It is. My original thoughts on it, just out of my head, was kawaii is the culture of cuteness in Japan. Mm-hmm. But I found out that it was actually added to an English dictionary in 2014. Oh, interesting. Uh, the Collins Dictionary from the UK. Okay. So they define kawaii as a Japanese artistic and cultural style that emphasizes quality of cuteness using bright colors and characters with a childlike appearance. Okay. That works. Lays yeah. it out pretty nicely. Yeah. Yeah, the word can be translated as, you know, I saw cute, lovable, adorable, stuff like that, but it's not a perfect correlation between the word cute and the word kawaii. Kawaii has kind of this whole bigger concept built around it. Yeah. One of the things that always strikes me about kawaii is just the way people say the word. They try to say the word in a cute way. And maybe you get that in English too. Like you see a really cute kid or puppy like, oh, it's so cute. You know, like I always hear people like saying kawaii, you know, or I'm probably horrible at trying to say it in a cute way, but something like that. Higher pitched, I think. And you just go a little bit higher. I don't know if I can, but kawaii. No, no, sorry. (laughs) Getting there, getting there. I'll keep working on it. We'll we'll swing back a few episodes later. Okay. And I'll hit you with it. So just to give an idea of like what a kawaii character might look like, think of like Hello Kitty and Pikachu. Those are probably two of the most popular ones that are pretty clearly products of this kawaii culture. Yeah, and that hits on a good point that it can refer to humans or non-humans. It doesn't it doesn't have to be a person. Yeah, or even I mean it doesn't have to be even a, a character. It could be like food can be kawaii, handwriting can be kawaii, really anything can be kawaii. And we're going to talk about what kind of qualities define a kawaii thing. But uh, first, do you want to, should we get into the origin of the word a little bit? Yeah. It's kind of more complicated than I expected, the history of it. So apparently kawaii comes from the archaic word kaohayushi, which seems to have had kind of a negative connotation, actually. It means one's face is aglow, referring to blushing from shame or pity when encountering something pathetic. Okay. And the hayu part of that word is also a cognate with the hayu in word omohayui, meaning embarrassing or awkward, and also a cognate with bayu in mabayui, which means glaring or blinding. So if you grab all these concepts all the, from all these different words and bring them together, I get the impression that this, it's kind of pointing at this negative feeling that you might have when you're viewing something or someone that is small and weak 
Like you're thinking, oh, this thing is so pathetic. It makes me uncomfortable to even look at it, <laughs> you know? Interesting. That's not how it's viewed today, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of this historical idea that morphed eventually into the modern Kauai idea. So it seems like the concept morphed to the point where being small and weak are not necessarily bad things, you know? They could be positive traits of like innocent little creatures that you want to take care of, you know, tiny animals or babies, things that need your protection. Yeah. And so the word, that original word, kawahayushi, eventually changed into kawayushi and then to kawayui, and eventually you get to the modern day kawai. Okay. Mm-hmm. The history of languages is fascinating. Yeah. I need to look up more history of English. Like, where does the word cute come from? You know, mm-hmm. did that mean something horrible a few hundred years ago, you know? Yeah, it really is weird how, I mean, there's so many words even where the meaning of it flips completely, like 180 degrees. I mean, it's the exact opposite of what it used to. Yeah. And you know, the older I get, the more I'm surprised at how quickly language evolves, you know? Like if we hear a radio broadcast from 100 years ago, did they have radios 100 years ago? Yes. Like, you can tell it's just, this person sounds different. They would stand out these days just because of the way that they're talking and the words that they choose to use, you know? And I mean, looking at youth slang and stuff, I feel old sometimes. I have to like Google the words that I see popping up online. Like, what are kids talking about these days? Yeah, right? When I hear teenagers talking, every once in a while I hear a word I don't know. And I'm like, what? Yeah. (laughs) When did that word become a thing? Yeah. I'm actually reading Sherlock Holmes lately, hmm. and it's really interesting, the words they use. Like, Watson is constantly ejaculating every time he's surprised, <laughs> you know? His ejaculating words, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> you know. How could it be I ejaculated is, like, constantly <laughs> just, like, what Watson's doing all the time. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And lots and lots of other words, too, from turn of the last century London. Yeah. Language is crazy, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, So back to Kauai. So the word Kauai these days, usually written in hiragana, but it can also be written in kanji. And the kanji used to write that literally translate to able to be loved or lovable. You know, that kind of idea. So it makes makes sense. sense. Yes. So I guess in, in researching the word itself, I just thought it was interesting how the idea of Kauai isn't purely about the Kauai thing itself. A lot of it seems to be about the feelings of the observer, you know? Like something is described as Kauai when it inspires those feelings of pity and protectiveness in the observer, and it's about like the ability of this thing to be loved by other people. Yeah, okay. I saw a scholar actually described Kauai as, quote, a pure feeling of unabashed joy taken in the undemanding presence of innocent, harmless, adorable things. Okay, I like that way of putting it. Yeah. If we haven't made it clear enough already, I just want to point out that the kawaii aesthetic is a prominent part of Japanese culture. It goes to pop culture, entertainment, clothing, toys, food. It influences people's appearance and mannerisms. There's a lot going on with Kauai in Japan. It's really part of, they become part of their cultural identity, I feel like. Definitely. And it's even spread to the rest of the world. I mean, it's had huge influences in 
you know, the rest of Asia and even in the U.S. Yeah. So we'll dive deeper into that and a lot of other things. Yes, we will. Shall we discuss the history of Kauai in Japan? Sure. So the oldest reference I could find was Kauai was used in The Tale of Genji, the first Japanese novel from the 11th century. It referred to pitiable qualities in its use there, which you mentioned in the origins of the word. Yeah, I think the form that appeared in that was a, a related word, kawaii-so. Okay. Yeah, that, it looked like that's probably the furthest back you can really trace that whole concept of kawaii as we understand it today. I saw even some people have said that there were elements of kawaii culture around back then because there were, I think in the, in the manga episode, maybe we talked about how in art around that time they had these anthropomorphized animals I saw people kind of comparing that to cat girls that you see these days. It seemed like kind of a stretch to me, honestly. Yeah, the origins of it, though. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think they were trying to make those cute. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. It's all about perspective, and it's hard to know what perspective an 11th century Japanese person had on those paintings. Yeah. I saw someone else mention that kawaii fashion maybe could be traced back to around the Edo period. And this is, again, this seemed a little shaky to me. I don't know how much it really connects with modern kawaii culture, but there were these little accessories that were really popular that people were wearing that were decorated with animals and like sort of cute imagery, I guess you could say. Didn't remind me a lot of modern kawaii, but maybe that's the beginning of kawaii fashion, according to some people. I heard something about in the Edo period, like little cute figures that, uh, artists would carve of little animals and stuff became popular. Mm. There were also woodblock prints, like the ukiyo-e stuff. There were a certain type called dijinga, which translates to a beautiful person picture. Okay. So, I don't know, beautiful person, cute person. Maybe there's something there. Who knows? But it seems like modern kawaii culture really started around the mid-1900s, right? Yeah. In the 1950s, an illustrator named Rune Naito started producing illustrations of large-headed, baby-faced girls and cartoon animals for Japanese girls' magazines. And he is credited with pioneering what would become the cultural aesthetic of kawaii. Mm -hmm. Did you look up those pictures from those magazines? No, I didn't. I did, and... I was surprised at how much they reminded me of Bratz dolls. <laughs> oh, really? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They have like huge heads, big eyes. I don't know. It just, it, it looked a lot like Bratz dolls to me for some reason. Okay. Like weird proportions. You know? Yeah. Um, we should also probably point out that there was a, a bit of Western influence at play even at this point, right? Uh, we talked about in the manga and anime episode, the big eyes might have been inspired by characters like Betty Boop and Disney characters. So yep. I guess the U.S. has always been sort of involved in this whole kawaii thing. And because of this growing trend of cute characters, companies like Sanrio started to get in on things. They created Hello Kitty in 1974, and it was an immediate success. I actually found there's a surprisingly interesting history behind that company and Hello Kitty, like probably enough to do a whole episode on. It's an interesting story. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't get too into that. 
I read a bunch about teenage girls' handwriting. Yes. <laughs> so in the 1970s, teenage girls at school started writing, I guess, in a countercultural way, you know, the traditional Japanese calligraphy, the writing goes vertically and it's big, thick lines because you're painting with a brush. So they started using mechanical pencils and they'd write horizontally with really thin lines. And then they started adding in like hearts and little pictures and they like distorted the characters themselves to make them really rounded and kind of bubbly. Did you find pictures of this style of handwriting? A couple. This really surprised me at how much it reminded me of girly handwriting in America. Like it's funny, even though the writing is in two different languages, you can tell that the aesthetic is very much the same. They're all bubbly and round. I remember in school, you know, girls would like dot their eyes with little hearts and stuff. It, it yeah. really, there's a lot of, a lot of similarities there. And it made me wonder like, how did this happen? Did this cute style of handwriting pop up independently in these two different countries halfway across the world? Or was there some sort of interplay there? Yeah, I don't know. It uh, caused some controversy because it's hard to read and a lot of schools banned writing like that, mm -hmm. which I'm sure just made it more popular. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so a bunch of teenagers, they can't do something and watch how that goes. Mm-hmm. But then during the 80s, this style of writing got adopted by magazines and comics and packaging and advertising. And nowadays, all over Japan, you'll see big, rounded, bubbly characters with hearts and smiley faces mixed in and stuff mm -hmm. all over the place. Well, you know how corporations love to exploit youth culture for profit, right? Absolutely. They live for that. Yep. I also thought it was really cool that this whole style of handwriting with all these little drawings and stuff in there, that's where emojis came from. Yeah, ever think right? of that? Like the, We wouldn't have emojis if it weren't for these teenage Japanese high school girls. Yeah, they probably came up with all the different faces. Yeah. Like anyone could draw a smiley face, but you got the squinty face and all the, you know, there are hundreds of faces, right? Yeah, totally. That's cool. Yep. So also in the 1980s, kawaii culture continued to expand the market being mostly driven by girls between 15 and 18. And the kawaii aesthetic made its way into pop idol culture, and idols such as Seiko Matsuda helped popularize the trend. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about idols later, but if you've never heard of that term, they're basically people in Japan that are famous for being cute. That's kind of their whole job. Like they appear in all sorts of media they might sing and dance and be in advertisements and stuff, but really the core of their job, it's kind of just to be cute, right, Paul? Yes. Be cute and likable. Yeah. Um, so also, Kawaii kind of worked its way into a lot of different aspects of life, you know, probably driven mostly by companies that want to sell cute products. So we start finding cute stuff in cafes, you know, cute food. It even started to affect the way that people spoke, though. And I mean, still speak like it's crazy how pervasive it is in Japanese culture. Just the whole idea of kawaii. Yeah, it seems like Japan's really bought in on cuteness. Mm -hmm. I feel like in Japan, cute is such a bigger deal than sexy, you know? Yeah. Like it's totally like replaced that notion. Yeah. And they intersect in uh, 
sometimes disturbing ways. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that a little bit yeah. <laughs> later. So yeah, Kawhi is solidly mainstream in Japan now. Like it is definitely not limited to teenage girls anymore. There really are no limits on it. You'll find Kawhi stuff in the most unexpected places. So do you want to talk about uh, Kawhi's influence on uh, Japanese people and culture a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about where you can see that influence. One would be in people's physical appearance. People want to look cute. I saw a cosmetics company called Kanebo did a survey on beauty standards and found that women in their 20s and early 30s favored a cute look accentuated by a childish round face as opposed to an elegant face favored by those over 35. Interesting. Yeah. I must be getting old. You're not into the cute? You want an elegant woman? If I had to choose, yeah. Okay. But, you know, I'm not trying to be too picky. (laughs) (laughs) Having large eyes is considered to exemplify innocence, and innocence goes with cuteness. Mm -hmm. That's a really big part of the cute look. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on makeup or anything, but it's crazy how much can be done to accentuate the eyes. Saw that women will wear dramatic eye makeup. You got tons of fake eyelashes. Like, you know, I've seen people wear fake eyelashes in the U.S. I feel like they're a lot more popular in Japan, and you kind of see them all over the place at stores. I feel like a lot of people here wear fake eyelashes. Really? Yeah, especially younger women. Hmm. But, you know, maybe I, I just don't wrong. notice it. But I feel like in Japan, like they're noticeably fake. <laughs> like they have some really big ones. Yeah, I've seen some that are like an inch long with like feathers in them and yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, you know that's fake. Yeah. And then there are those contacts too, right? You've seen those. There are these contacts that like make your iris look bigger. Yeah. And, you know, when you put all this stuff together, like each element of that might seem kind of like a subtle difference. But when you bring it all together, it's pretty amazing what a difference it can make. Yeah, and if all that doesn't work, you can just have surgery. Sure. It's called double eyelid surgery. Mm-hmm. Or Asian blepharoplasty is the uh, technical term, I guess. I'm glad you said that, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Had you heard about this before? Yeah, it's really common in South Korea. Yeah. Well, in case our listeners haven't heard about it, basically there's this crease above the eye that Westerners have, but... Half of East Asian people don't naturally have that crease. So this surgery basically just adds that crease and makes their eyes look bigger. There's also, if you don't want to do the surgery, there's double eyelid tape that you can get that's supposed to do the same kind of thing. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. It's just like a little curved strip of tape that you stick above your eye to kind of fake the crease. There are some things that men do to appear cute as well. This was a new word for me, but apparently there's some men in Japan that go for a neotenic look. Yeah, I'd never heard that either. Apparently it means delayed maturing or the appearance of delayed maturing or something like that. It's like you're trying to look prepubescent. Yeah, so like guys will shave their legs Yeah, to like try to look less physically developed, I guess. Yeah. It's... A new thing to me, so I I don't like totally get it, but... Not going to judge. Cuteness is not just for women in Japan. It's acceptable and desirable in many cases for men to look kawaii as well. Definitely. 
And even if they're not, you know, interested in looking kawaii, it's still culturally acceptable for them to be interested in cute things like, you know, anime or the idols that I mentioned. Even well into middle age, that's kawaii is not limited to women and girls. Any anybody can be interested in kawaii stuff, and there's it's not weird, I guess, in Japan. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine like being out with the boys and stopping and being like, oh, guys, that's so cute. Like, let's all go look at this. Yeah. I mean, America's got its weird stuff about, you know, toxic masculinity and all that. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, just the differences in culture. Yeah. Yeah. Kawaii goes beyond appearance, too. It's mannerisms. There's all these little movements that are supposed to be cute too and like the way you carry yourself and the way you act to be more innocent or more pure to give that kawaii feeling to people yeah i saw that referred to as gender performance so like they talk about how some women will speak in a high-pitched voice and giggle a lot to try to act cute or even just little gestures like body language cover your mouth when you smile. I, f- I feel like you see a lot of Japanese women do that. Whenever they, they smile or laugh, they got a hand in front of their mouth. I thought that was because bad teeth <laughs> or people not liking their smiles. But even that is another thing that can be considered cute in Japan, right? You've seen the girls that have uh, kind of messed up teeth, like they're not, they're not straight, but that's supposed to be a childish look. That's and it's- fetishized in anime and manga as the fang like Mm -hmm. the one fang hanging out of the mouth yeah totally there's even a surgery that you can get to get those fangs like people will go under the knife to have these teeth just like sticking out in weird angles the only time i've heard of that in america are people trying to be vampires (laughs) (laughs) i don't think they're going for the cute look though yeah a little different thing Uh, some girls will even act dumb and helpless to try to inspire pity or put people at ease. I feel like that happens in the U.S. too. I mean, probably anywhere. There are people that will act dumb just to kind of make things easier for themselves. Yeah, there are. I'm so not a fan of that. Yeah. Just my personality-wise. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever seen, I feel like on YouTube, there are a lot of these videos that's like, oh, these are the however many types of girl. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I know what you mean. I don't think I've ever watched a video like that on YouTube, but... I don't know. I think one popped up. It was like the seven types of Japanese girls. And I just watched, just, you know, see what they they were going to say. Yeah. And one of them was girls that act stupid. Apparently there are a lot of them. And, uh, but even in Japan, like not everybody finds that attractive. Some people just find that super annoying. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit deeper into idols in Japan or... Idolru, as they're called. Definitely borrowing the English word there. Yep. Although, I wonder where that came from. Maybe it's a Greek word or a Latin word originally. Who knows? Yeah. It's interesting how much the meaning of that word changed, though. When I mean, I guess that happens with a lot of words that Japan takes from English. They just kind of tweak the meaning of it a bit. Yeah, not- that's true. That's true. I think, like, idols in English, I'm reminded of, like, reading the Bible as a kid. Mm-hmm. have no idols right. for me or whatever <laughs> yeah i feel like you don't hear it all that often here uh, yeah pop, it's more pop of a idol negative. do people say that they might they might but you're prefacing it with uh yeah. it's a pop thing They're yeah not yeah in just japan, an idol right in japan if you start talking about idols everybody's going to know exactly what you're talking about yeah 
So as you mentioned before, idols are media personalities, usually in their teens or 20s, at least the kawaii ones. They could be doing any media thing, singing, modeling, TV personality, all that stuff. And they're just cute. So basically the job is be cute and then we'll find some media to put you onto and sell it. And you build your fan base. I don't know everything about the industry, but it's like a really fascinating and weird industry that they've got. Some of these idols will be in training and promotion for years before they release anything. Yeah, and they might start training them from like 10, 12 years old, right? Yeah, they've got like junior idol groups that are like really young. Mm -hmm. I feel like the closest comparison I could think of in the Western world is like those boy bands in the early 2000s, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. They're dancing around and, you know, people know maybe they're not super great singers. There's kind of a lot of auto-tune and stuff going on there, but their job is to be desirable to, you know, teenage girls, basically. There's maybe one Justin Timberlake in the group or something. Yeah. But, you know, all the guys are probably talented enough, but yeah, yeah, it's all about the look and the lyrics and all that. Yeah, you're selling an image. And you're just trying to get people to be obsessed with that image. (laughs) Yep. Yep, exactly. That's a great comparison. So my favorite spinoff is Kawhi Metal. So I'm a baby metal fan. They were the first Kawhi Metal group that I know of, at least. Are there other Kawhi Metal groups? There are some others that are considered Kawhi Metal, I believe, yes. Hmm. So Baby Metal is a full band that's just hardcore shreds metal music. And then there's three girls who sing, dance, and scream. Like, they have the cutest metal screams. I love it. I love it. But it's just, it's such a juxtaposition. Like, the band is just shredding, like, unbelievable metal shredding. And then the girls are just singing and they're dancing like crazy, like this manic, awesome dancing. I dig it. I dig it so much. I went to a baby metal show last year. They actually came to Minneapolis and I went to a show and it was really cool. And I'm going to throw in Jason's face forever because he had to go to a wedding that week and couldn't come with me. Yeah, that was my mistake. It's a really unique and cool way that they've made Kauai work. Mm -hmm. You take the music, but like put that cuteness out there. And the fan base was really weird too, because it was everybody. It was all ages. It was men and women. It was kids. They have fans from all over. So I thought that was cool too. Yeah. It's really interesting how, I mean, they took all these genres and blended them with the Kawhi factor. Like, I mean, obviously it's mostly metal, but I feel like I've heard some of their music that also pulls in like hip hop influences. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's of course pop, a lot of pop influence, especially in the melodies and stuff, but the metal part of it, you know, I, I used to work with a guy that was really into metal music and I played him a big section of their song that was instrumental that didn't have any vocals. Yeah. And it's like, it stands alone as a very credible metal band. These musicians are incredibly talented. And it's not the girls that are writing, you know, the guitar parts, of course. Right. And I'm not saying the girls aren't talented themselves, but you know, the the whole package of baby metal is also like produced and very carefully thought out and sculpted to project a certain image too, you know? Yeah. 
And the band's interchangeable. Like when they toured in America, it was American musicians playing behind them, not their normal band. Oh. But they got they get like seasoned professional guys that just can play. Yeah. And an interesting note in the way Japanese industry works, Baby Metal's been around for 10 years now. And the girls are like 22 and 23. So they were like 11 and 12 when Baby Metal started. And they were already like in some idol group that they pulled them out before that. Oh. So these girls have all been idols since like the time they were nine or 10 or something. Wow. And now they've been in Baby Metal for 10 years. And they're still like just barely in their early 20s. <laughs> yeah. But I think they're getting better and better. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Is that enough about idols for now? Probably. We were talking about maybe doing a whole episode on idols in the future. Yeah, I really think we should. It's it's a really interesting industry, and there's not really the same kind of thing in the West. So I feel like it'd be interesting to learn about. Yeah. I remember you were telling me about a, a documentary you watched about some idols a while back. Yeah. That was just fascinating. Yeah, just that lifestyle. And I mean, and the lifestyle of people that like get really, really into it. There are people that like devote their lives to that. Yeah, the fans are just as fascinating in what they do as the industry and performers are, too. Totally, yeah. Should we talk about some of the kawaii fashion now, some of the more popular trends? Absolutely. It is a huge part of kawaii culture, and I just love all the interesting subcultures. Like, There's so many types of kawaii fashion. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier uh, Lolita, which... I think has a little different connotation than the word in English does. I don't know. But basically Lolita fashion is a very well-known and recognized style in Japan. Like if people in Japan see it, they know, oh, that's Lolita. Mm -hmm. It's based on Victorian fashion and the Rococo period from France. Girls mix their own elements along with Gothic style to try to achieve a doll-like look. Yeah, basically girls try to make themselves look like little porcelain dolls. So like imagine a lot of lace, ribbons, bows, petticoats. Everything ruffled. Yes, yes. Parasols you'd be likely to see. Paul, what is up with the word petticoat? Like I, you know, I, I was reading about this. I came across that word and it's like, okay, I've heard that word before. I didn't know exactly what kind of garment that was. So I looked it up. You know what a petticoat is? I don't think people wear petticoats anymore. Not really. Um, no, I don't. I mean, I was thinking like a coat sort of thing, right? No, it's like underwear or something. It's like a underskirt. Underskirt, okay. But like, why does it have coat in the word? I don't know. Language, right? Yeah. That's the theme of this episode. Language <laughs> is weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bo Peep collars. Yep. Wasn't sure what that was either. Thick Mary Jane heels. Didn't know what that was either. I knew that. Sold shoes for four years. Oh, yeah. I guess I should know that. I sold shoes with you for a little while. Yeah. Mary Jane, though? I don't know. I never heard that term in that context. We had a couple, we, yeah. <laughs> we had a couple bottles of shoe called Mary Jane, I think. That's how I knew. And they were chunky heels. There's often themes to the clothes, like uh, fruit patterns or flower patterns, or even like pictures of sweets. It's all about everything like sweet and fluffy and flowery. And Is that still Lolita or is that a subset of Lolita? It's both. 
Because I saw there's a, a subset. I mean, you know, all of this exists out there. You got to find some way of categorizing it. And yeah. people have different ways of grouping styles together and stuff. But I saw a subset called Sweet Lolita. Yeah. That has uh, maybe even more ribbons and bows and lace. And that's where you might see a lot more pastel colors. I saw a lot of light pink. Uh, that might be where you're seeing more of that kind of imagery of like sweets and candy and whatever. Yeah. And your accessories too. Like you'll have a little purse shaped like a strawberry or like a stuffed animal. Mm. Mannerisms are important too. You know, how you act and the little cute moves you do. Mm hmm. I was sweet Lolita. It's considered not just a fashion, but a lifestyle. <laughs> like you live your whole life like this. Like you eat nothing but pink cake and you drink, like you just have tea parties all the time, right? Yeah. Did you ever watch the movie Kamikaze Girls? I don't think so. It's from like the early 2000s. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it's a really funny movie. But one of the main characters in that, Momoko, is uh, sweet Lolita. She only drinks tea and eats sweets. Yeah. Like she just lives that whole lifestyle. She wants to be like reborn in 1700s France. I feel like I saw a documentary years ago about some American girls that have taken on that lifestyle. I believe it. I mean, you know, the kawaii fashion stuff, of course, is spread outside of Japan. You see that in the US sometimes. And actually, I remember even seeing in Japan... Uh, like foreign tourists dressed up in like Kauai fashion. <laughs> I haven't seen that. That's cool. Yeah. Another subset of Lolita, there's classic Lolita. So you might be less likely to see the fruit and uh, bright color stuff. They're going more for a realistic, faithful representation of uh, the elegance of Victorian fashion. Okay. And then gothic Lolita. I like that one. My favorite kind like of Lolita. It. All the frills and bows and stuff, but black, yeah. black and white. Yeah, it's just like a mix of goth, like we would have in the U.S., mixed with Lolita. Yeah, like frilly, cute goth. It's like skulls and coffins, but in a cute way. Yeah, black lipstick and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the beginning of the episode, Paul, I mentioned you were wearing a Fairy K style, it looked like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you explain what, explain what that is? So, you know, you might be able to get a sense of it just from the name fairy. Think fairy stuff. You got pastels. You got fairy type colors, like rainbow kind of stuff. I saw this could be considered another subset of Lolita fashion, but that didn't seem to fit to me with the pictures that I saw because it's not so much Victorian style. It's more just based on all these colors. I saw that the aesthetic might take cues from things like My Little Pony or Care Bears. Interesting. I just think, you know, lots of pastels. I think about that kind of stuff. Okay. Read about Decora. Yeah. It's one that I've always been interested in. Yeah. Um, it's a really unique look. It's a style that's characterized by wearing many decorations. That's where they get the Decora name, which I never knew until I did this research. I knew that they wore a ton of like accessories, but I never like put decoration and decora together before. I don't think I'd heard that word before, but I've I've seen pictures of the girls with like just tons of toys like tied up in their hair. Yeah. So the goal is to become a, as vibrant as possible. So bright colored clothing with 
a whole bunch of multicolored hairpins and bracelets and rings and necklaces and whatever you can find, big hair ribbons and ties. Mm-hmm. You see pictures of it and it's just so much. It's just like, whoa, <laughs> like, yeah, we can't even like make anything out of it. A phrase that came to my mind was unicorn barf. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going on in Decora style. Yeah, like to the point where it looks like really cumbersome. Like it would be hard to walk around like that sometimes. Yeah. I wouldn't say I think it looks good usually, but um, it looks very interesting. Yeah, like it definitely... catches your eye and like you, you'll spend a minute looking at a picture of somebody. Yeah, you will stand out if you're walking down the street in that style. And it also kind of links to the childlike appearance, like with all the cheap accessories and the bright colors. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how a kid would dress if you let them. Yeah. Maybe. You yeah, know. sure. So those are kind of maybe the most mainstream I'd, I'd say so, yeah. I did come across a list of other twists on kawaii fashion that I thought were pretty interesting, though. Paul, did you come across the term kimo kawaii? No. Kimo kawaii is creepy cute. What? Yeah, <laughs> creepy and cute. I saw minions might be an example of this. Like, they're not pretty. Okay. They're not, I don't know, are minions cute? Do you think I minions are cute? I don't get minions. Don't even talk to me about <laughs> minions. I don't understand. I don't think they're cute or creepy. They just annoy me. Okay. But they're big. Like, at uh, Universal Studios and stuff, like, people are into the minions. Yeah. It really blew up after kids that like, first Kids movie. really like them. Yeah. They must be funny. I never saw any of those movies, did you? I've seen a couple of them. The movies are okay. The Minions, I never thought were that funny, but maybe I'm too old and grumpy. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, Another one is Guro Kawai, grotesque cute. Guro, like grotesque. Okay, I'm intrigued. Yeah. So this made me think of, uh, have you seen those ugly dolls? Uh, There's like a brand of dolls that came out where their, their whole thing is that they're ugly but they're kind of cute at the same time. Okay. I don't know. Well, okay, so I guess there are two maybe similar concepts here. The Guro Kawai is grotesque cute. There's also Busu Kawai, which is ugly cute. Okay. So, I don't know, maybe this uh, kind of ties back to that original idea behind Kawai where things are pitiful, and that's why you I was just like thinking them, the same thing, you know? yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then there's Ero Kawai, which is sexy cute, like erotic Kawaii. Okay. This might refer to uh, like French maid outfits, like at, um, you know, maid cafes or maybe the bunny cafes. You talked about going to one of those, right? Yeah. I went to the bunny bar. The girls are dressed up like bunny girls. I wasn't thinking cute as much, but yeah, you could, you could make that argument. Yeah. It's definitely sexy. Yeah. Cat girls maybe fits under that. Okay. The cat girls are cute, but they also are often portrayed as sexy. Yeah. Uh, Yume Kawaii translates to dreamy cute. I don't know. Maybe this is kind of like fairy K a little bit. You know, dreamy stuff. Unicorns, cotton candy, rainbows, pastels, that kind of imagery. But my favorite one, I saved this for last. Yami Kawaii. What's that? Yami Kawaii is sick cute. Okay. I think I've seen a couple pictures of this one before. I think I mentioned it to you when we were doing our research. So, I don't know, some people seem to find this one kind of disturbing because it seems to kind of focus a lot on mental health issues and, like, imagery around suicide, uh, but mixed with cute, (laughs) which is a really weird juxtaposition. But, like, 
Uh, I saw a lot of clothing with characters who like take a lot of pills. Maybe there will be a cute girl with an empty pill bottle next to her or something. Or maybe they cut themselves and they have bandages on their wrists or something. I got no problem with it. Yeah. I, I mean, feel like fashion is art and art reflects the real world. In the real world, people kill themselves and attempt to kill themselves sometimes. And it's just a thing we have to deal with. Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of like an artistic, expressive way to address mental illness, which is you know, really not mentioned that much in Japan. It's not as open of an issue as it is in the U.S. It's still kind of a taboo thing to talk about. Yeah. So it's interesting that there's all this dark imagery, but at the same time, there are a lot of like the pastel colors. It kind of seems like this might have branched off from the Yume Kawaii, the dreamy cute, because it's, it really, if you saw somebody from a distance and you just saw all these pastel colors, you might think, oh, that's Yume Kawaii, but then you get up close and it's like, oh, there's like blood and, <laughs> you know, knives and it's like a disturbing version of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting in that there's such opposites. Like in one way, they're dressed up really cute, and in the other way, they look like they're dying or dead. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I even saw it with the makeup sometimes. They'll do like really pale makeup and like some red or pink around the eyes. So they yeah, kind of like do look like corpses. Eyes and yeah, pale face. Yeah, yeah. Interesting look. Indeed. All right, so let's talk about how these soulless monsters, I mean business people, are using Kauai to slap on products all over the place and make lots of money. Okay, that's one way to think about it. <laughs> so the concept of Kauai has become very commercialized. Like if you've ever had a high-chew candy or the Koala March, little chocolate-filled koala cookies when you were a kid, that stuff's all branded to be cute. Yep. Hello Panda. Was it the, I remember having those as a kid. Was it the Koalas March or the Hello Panda that made it here? I remember the, the Koalas, hmm. but maybe the Pandas did too. Oh. I don't know. Those two, it, it's like they're almost the exact same snack. You yeah, know? yeah, they It took are. me a second to even realize that those were different things. You could add cuteness to a product by adding cute features like hearts or flowers or rainbows or stars. There's a bunch of airplanes that have Pikachu on them. Yeah, all Nippon Airways has 10 passenger jets adorned with Pokemon, including Pikachu. <laughs> um, Hello Kitty is all over the place, too. On my last trip to Japan, I saw posters about the Hello Kitty bullet train. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have one just covered in Hello Kitty stuff. I think even the seats inside are pink. Oh, wow. If I recall correctly. So, sounds right. I don't know. Kawaii mascots are yeah. everywhere. Yeah, we've talked about mascots a little bit before. I still think we should do an episode about mascots too, because that's a, just a huge, huge thing. I mean, they can advertise anything. Like normally, I feel like in the U.S., cute mascots you would think would be advertising cute things, but in Japan, they can advertise anything. They have mascots for banks. For a mountain that I climbed has its own mascot. Yeah. You, you can have utility companies, like a water company that has a cute water-based mascot, you know? Any sort of company or organization mascot. Mm -hmm. We talked about in the Olympics episode, they have the two mascots for the Olympics and Paralympics. So midi, so, so mighty, or so, so midi. So midi and the other one. Yeah, and the <laughs> other one. <laughs> Whatever, the, the Olympics hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
Do we need to do another episode on that when they start rolling around again? <laughs> Olympics refresher. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this, I mean, you know, I knew about the mascots, but I found out even some police forces have cute mascots and they have them on the front of their police boxes. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Not to judge or anything. I mean, I kind of get maybe the idea behind it might be to make police more approachable. You know, people might be less hesitant to approach a policeman if they have this friendly looking mascot, but just uh, the contrast between their culture and ours, like I cannot imagine American police with some happy little mascot. That's ridiculous. Oh my God. That's the next thing that's going to happen. It's the police gross. are going to rebrand themselves so they don't get defunded. <laughs> I kind of want them to try just to see what would happen. That would be kind of <laughs> hilarious. Uh, one of the most popular mascots apparently is uh, Kumamon. He's the mascot of Kumamoto Prefecture. Because, of course, yeah. prefectures have a mascot. He's a brown bear. So I looked it up. Oh, He's right. like brown or black bear. I really like him. The one with the big teeth. He's kind of blocky. Yeah, he's kind of, he kind of okay, looks yeah. like this like shaggy, almost kind of sloppy, slightly round bear. But then he's got these huge blushing cheeks. And it just like works somehow. It just looks cute. I don't know. Okay, right, right. Sorry, I had to look it up. I was thinking of something else. Yeah, he's interesting. I've seen him around. I feel like they sell his products around. Yeah. And it's not just... Hello Kitty, Sanrio's got a line of over 50 kawaii characters. Yeah. And they make over a billion dollars a year off of selling cute stuff around the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's maid cafes kind of play into the kawaii culture. Definitely. Video games. Like we already talked about Pokemon. Almost anything Nintendo has some sort of kawaii like in it, it yeah, seems. Yeah, definitely. I saw Animal Crossing too. Somebody described that as kawaii culture in game form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Animal Crossing for sure. Yeah. So I kind of had the thought like you always hear in America, like sex sells. I feel like in Japan, kawaii sells. Definitely. Yeah. You know, much more than sex. I don't know about more you than know, sex. Sex always sells. But in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paul, have you ever seen like road construction going on in Japan? Yeah. They've got mascots for that, too. Yeah, they got, like, those uh, barriers on the side of the road with, like, cute little frog characters or rabbits or They might whatever. be holding a little sign that says, slow down or caution yeah. or roadworks happening. Yeah. I mean, you already mentioned music with baby metal. I wanted to mention Kyari Pamu Pamu, too. She's, like, an, uh, a kawaii icon. I can't believe I forgot about her. <laughs> she's one of your favorites. She's, she's pretty great. She actually started out as a fashion blogger. And like what? Hawaii I didn't fashion know that. stuff. Yeah. Her music's great though. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's very much produced. Like she doesn't write that stuff. <laughs> Actually, her producer, Yasutaka Nakata, he's he's amazing. He produces a lot of huge pop acts in Japan and he's a great musician. But yeah, so he like teamed up with her to make her into this pop icon and she's she's everywhere and has been for the last decade. It's probably been ten years, yeah. I feel like. Man. Time is just zooming by. Hey, at least it's not like she's retired. Yeah. Oh, another thing I want to mention was uh, Purikura. What's that? Purikura is short for Printo Club. Print Club. Print Club, okay. These are basically photo booths. Ah, yeah, yeah. You can find them in arcades across Japan. 
And I mean, you know, photo booth, like you go in there with your friends, you take some pictures, it spits out a little, prints out a little uh, set of pictures for you. But the thing about these ones in Japan is that you can edit them in the booth to add a bunch of cute stuff. Like you can enhance your own cuteness by making your eyes all big and sparkly or, you know, add hearts and stars or whatever to the picture. rainbows. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, it makes me wonder, like we have all these apps now where you can edit pictures in real time. I wonder if those are- the same thing. Yeah, it really is. I wonder if they're negatively impacting that industry because- Could be. In Japan, I mean, they're still around for sure. I see a lot of stuff on Instagram where people are editing sparkles on their face or hearts above their head. And Instagram, I don't even think is on the same level as TikTok for stuff like that. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even mess with TikTok. Yeah, me either. I'm too old, I guess. I guess I'm making old jokes about myself. I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) Should we talk about Kawhi's impact and spread uh, in the rest of the world. Sure. Pokemon, of course, has gone very much worldwide. Anime and manga are worldwide. I feel like maybe anime and manga kind of opened the door for the rest of Kawhi culture to like flood into these markets, you know? It certainly did in the West. and Japan these days, the government actively promotes spreading anime and manga around the world to Mm -hmm. spread Japanese culture. Their pop music also helps spread it. Not as much, I think, in the West, but in China and Singapore especially. Singapore in the 80s, pop stars from Japan were like the biggest deal. And even to this day, Japanese pop culture is a big thing in Singapore. Hmm. Did you see the impact that Kawhi has had on politics in Taiwan? Read about that at all? No, I didn't. (laughs) I'd never heard of this, but the the Democratic Progressive Party in Taiwan created this cutesy little doll to advertise for a politician. Like it was an ad campaign and it was hugely successful. Like people bought up all these little dolls of this politician. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Can you imagine that here? You know, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have I, am I just making this up or have I seen like little Trump dolls? Do those exist? There's Trump everything. Yeah. There's Trump everything. Yeah. For his supporters and his detractors. It's hard to call any country's politics, you know, wacky compared to American politics these days. I mean, AOC's got her own line of clothing now. Really? It's like got slogans on it and stuff. Hadn't heard about that. Yeah. So even even politicians are like becoming a brand. (laughs) You Um, You know what I noticed that I thought was interesting? I feel like a lot of American animated TV shows, especially for kids, have been influenced a lot by kawaii style. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. There's a bunch of shows that have been influenced heavily by anime, Mm -hmm. and anime is heavily influenced by kawaii style. Yeah. But what I noticed was even shows that we grew up with, or like characters from our childhood, have been like kawaii-fied. Like, uh, I saw a post on Reddit that showed the new version of Thomas the Tank Engine compared to, you know, the original one that I remember from Shining Time Station. Well, the original one kind of looked like shit, if you, like, go back and look. No offense, Thomas. He did look weird. Like, you know, he was just a a model. It looked cool at the time. He was like a piece of plastic, and it made he had this weird face thing on the front of him. But (laughs) have you seen the new Thomas the Tank Engine? No. Let me grab a picture for you real quick. Okay. 
okay, that's a hundred percent anime face on a train. Yeah. He's got those giant sparkly eyes. His skin is all perfectly smooth. <laughs> yeah. He looks he looks like a baby. He's like if they took Thomas the Tank Engine from our childhood and then regressed him 30, 40 years, you know? Yeah. I saw the same thing with serial mascots. Have you seen the new reincarnations of Lucky the Leprechaun or Toucan Sam? I haven't paid any attention to what they look like. They're totally kawaiified, Paul. Okay. They're doing a Magic School Bus reboot. Did you like Magic School Bus? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I loved that show. Kawaiified. Okay. Anime style. All these characters reminded me of like, uh, do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Homer Homer was Mr. Sparkle? I was just thinking of that. That was such an amazing episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're doing to all these characters. I don't know how they came up with that episode. Where they, where they have like a light bulb and a fish and something else, like all perfectly made Homer's head. Like who thought of that? <laughs> yeah. That was a good episode. It was really good. And it played with that whole uh, Pokemon giving people seizures thing. Yeah. (laughs) So everyone's on board with Kawhi, right? No one's got any problems with anything involved in it, right? No, Kawhi is bad, Paul. (laughs) Wait, what? Why? Yeah. As fun and carefree as it might seem, there is a dark underbelly, at least according to some people. There's some controversy around it. Tell me more. The main criticism of Kawhi culture is that some people see it as sexist. Okay. They say that it encourages women to make themselves more childlike, both physically and mentally, so that they are perceived as Kawhi. And that whole thing kind of goes against the feminist idea of being strong and independent. Okay. You know, kind of makes sense. Very valid points. And I feel like it applies to like any beauty standards though around the world in, in some way. Like anytime you're striving to meet a beauty standard, like that's probably not a very feminist thing. Perhaps, but I think you could argue that certain beauty standards, I mean, you can be, you can be beautiful and still powerful, but in Japan, it's like the cuteness kind of makes you diminutive. Yeah. I suppose the aspect of trying to act childlike or trying Mm. to be stupid or whatever. Yeah. It's implying that you're less capable, you know, back to that idea of cute things make you want to take care of them. You know, that's the exact opposite of being like a strong, independent woman. Okay. So I saw someone say that cute things are cute specifically because they are deprived of power and independence. And this next part seemed a little, a little out there to me, but somebody pointed out that Hello Kitty has no mouth. She is mouthless and voiceless, just like women in Japanese society. Okay. I'm not going to say it's not valid because maybe, maybe it is. And it's all about perspective, but I feel like there's a lot of animated stuff that doesn't have a lot of things. Yeah. You I know, think it's a maybe, very simplistic design. Yeah. I thought that was kind of reading into a stylistic choice. Yeah. You know, if you've got to write a 90 page dissertation, you got to find some things to write about, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I saw an article about how kawaii culture is a factor in limiting women's careers in Japan. If women are seen as innocent and naive, that's not going to help them get into higher positions in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also in recent years, there have been some like stronger kawaii characters popping up that like it gives more power back to these kawaii characters. I immediately think of a Gretzko. Yes, that was my biggest <laughs> example. Have you watched that show yet? <laughs> I haven't seen all of it. I've seen like five episodes. It is maybe. so great. So a Gretzko is on Netflix. You can watch it. It's great. I highly recommend it. The main character 
is Kawhi, but the whole show is about this pent-up rage that she has from living in this patriarchal society where she has little power, you know? And, I mean, that's where the name of the show even comes from, is her name is Retzko, and she's aggressive. So, aggressive Retzko, Aretzko. Yeah, her pig boss is just the worst. Yeah. Oh, everybody, you, you just hate him so much. Yeah, her boss is literally a male chauvinist pig. <laughs> yeah, I love that show just for all the social commentary on Japan's society. It's just interesting to kind of see it from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I also saw that Sanrio has a newer character called Kuromi. You heard of her? No. I hadn't either, but she's like kind of a tomboy and a little bit punky. All right. Does like, she have a mouth? Uh, I don't <laughs> know. Do any of the Sanrio characters? <laughs> I, the, Hello Kitty is the only one I know. I don't, yeah, I don't know much about them. Could I saw pictures the other of her. 49 for you. Yeah, I can't remember if she has a mouth or not, but it seemed like she was a little more uh, uh, assertive. Kind of okay. less innocent and sweet than most okay. Kawhi characters. So, yeah. I don't know. I totally get the point on like the innocent childlike or pretending like you don't know what's going on or whatever to be cute. But I also think, I always think with like fashion that's out there, I always think it's cool to go out there and like, I'm just going to wear this like Lolita get up that's just 100% makes me stand out from everybody else. You know, I'm just doing my own thing because I like it and I think it's cool. I've always thought there was something like cool and empowering about that. Totally. I'm all for self-expression in whatever form, you know, makes you happy. Yeah. But there are some valid points in that criticism, I think, too. Mm -hmm. So another controversial issue is things like Ero Kawai, that sexy cute idea. Mm -hmm. You know, when you bring together the ideas of childlike and sexy, that's, uh, that's uh, a little that's... Problem problematic. <laughs> yeah. That's a big no. Yeah. Uh, idol culture is criticized for the same reason, the idea that to be attractive, these women need to look young and cute. Yeah. Not a lot of idols make it past 25, 30 and still have a career Yeah, unless they transition into acting or something else. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to mention, I guess, Paul, Paul's already been taking some jabs at uh, the corporate forces behind <laughs> Kauai culture, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's really the the big driver behind it. Like we mentioned the cutesy handwriting stuff from the 70s, the high school girls. That seemed to me to be like the only really natural non-commercial development of Kauai culture. But yeah, most of it is really driven by capitalism and even politics. So, you know, I mentioned Sanrio's history. Their founder said that they always intended for Hello Kitty to be a global force. She was supposed to be, quote, the Japanese cat that overtook the American mouse. Oh, wow. They're coming for Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> and as for the government, I thought this was interesting. The government has really used Kauai culture to try to rebrand Japan since World War II. I think you kind of mentioned that earlier. Like, it used to be when people thought about Japan, they're thinking like, oh, samurai and honor and temples and that kind of thing. And now the exportation of Kauai has kind of changed their image to be more playful and feminized. And the cute is like, is a prominent part of how people perceive Japan and the rest of the world. Absolutely. I mean, probably a lot of people think Pokemon, Hello Kitty, anime, when they think of Japan. Mm -hmm. Paul, did you know Hello Kitty was actually named as Japan's official tourist ambassador to Hong Kong and China? No. And uh, as for mascots, every single prefecture in Japan has its own mascot. Yes, Did you say I, that? I knew that. Okay. Yeah, I don't think we said it though. Yeah. It's just 
you can use Kawhi to do a lot of stuff to influence society. It's interesting. So to wrap it all up, my personal take is that, yeah, Japan probably still has some room for improvement in the gender relations department. We've alluded to that many times on the podcast before. And Kawhi culture might not be super progressive for the most part, but I don't think people need to reject Kawhi because of that. You know, I think there's a place for it. And if you're into that, you know, there's nothing wrong with liking Kawhi, I don't think. I think the end goal for gender equality should be for people to be able to just do do what makes them happy as long as they're not hurting anybody. So, whatever. Well said. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. So I can't believe how long we've been talking about Kawhi here. <laughs> yeah, this one's a little longer than I expected. So let's wrap it up with you're in Japan and you want to really experience some Kawhi. Where do you go? What do you do? I would say the Mecca for Kawhi culture is probably Harajuku. Yeah. It's definitely the Mecca for like teen fashion in Japan, mm-hmm. including all the Kawhi stuff. Yeah. Specifically Takeshita Street. There's this street that uh, starts at Harajuku Station and it's lined with shops selling Kawhi fashion items. It's a super, super popular street for tourists and Japanese people. It's just a really, really popular street. It's often packed with people. Also in Harajuku, there's a toy store called Kitty Land that has a ton of Kawaii merchandise. There's a store called Baby the Stars Shine Bright. Where? Never heard of that. I don't know exactly. There's a few of them, I think. It's really well known for the Sweet Lolita style. Like That's oh. where you go to get your Sweet Lolita clothes. Okay. Sanrio has a theme park in Tokyo mm-hmm. called Puro Land. So I'm sure you can see all sorts of Hello Kitty and other cute things there. Shibuya is another area in Tokyo with a lot of youth fashion. I would specifically check out a store called Shibuya 109. It's a big tower. You won't miss it if you're at Shibuya Station. Uh, Akihabara, of course, for anime stuff. All sorts of kawaii stuff there. And they have the maid cafes. You can hang out with cute girls in maid costumes. Episode 30, we talked a lot about those if you want more details about that. And besides that, I mean, really, no matter where you go in Japan, you're going to find tons of kawaii stuff. You know, in stores, you'll see mascots, you'll see billboards, even like PSAs on trains. Remember having cute characters on them and stuff? It's impossible to avoid. Have we talked enough about kawaii culture, you think, Paul? For now. (laughs) Should we do a kawaii part two at some point maybe (laughs) (laughs) all right well i guess for this time that's all we got so uh if you want to see some pictures of kawaii stuff i'll post them on instagram we are at sjp podcast if there's anyone out there that's really interested in kawaii culture why don't you write to us i would love to hear you know how you got into it what what interests you about it i don't know and any of your thoughts on kawaii stuff you can email us at feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about Osorizan, the gateway to hell. Yes. (laughs) It's the best tagline ever. (laughs) It's going to be fun. I love this place. This is one of my favorite places in Japan. I haven't been there. I wanted to go there, but I didn't have time. But it's just a really interesting place. There's a lot of folklore around it. And just even the scenery there is like unreal. 
Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but the name is not for nothing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really cool. It is really cool. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.